0: You're listening to the Sixers Beat with your host, Derek Bodner, right here on LibertyBallers.com and LibertyBroadcast.co.
1: Welcome everybody, this is Derek Bodner here alongside Rich Hoffman on this week's Sixers Beat podcast, a part of the CLNS. Media Network. Real quick before we begin, if you can leave us a rating or a review, particularly on iTunes, it really helps us out, helps us get to more Sixers fans. You can get a link to that as well as other podcast apps over at SixersBeat.com. Also, this week's podcast brought to you by Harry's Razors. Great shave, half the price. Go to slash SixersBeat. Rich, I feel like we've been talking about this inevitable G.L.O.K. for trade. For so long, like for years, it feels like years and years and years. I don't entirely know how to even react at this point.
0: How many times have we gotten into a long Okafor discussion? Oh, God. Only for us at the end. Somebody to say, we why are we spending so much time talking about this? Here's the good news, Derek. This is the last time we have to talk about it.
1: It is until at least until they play the Nets, uh, which I'm sure. At one point, Jojo might force us to talk about it. It'll be interesting well, to see what kind well, of a did role. He see,
0: did you see that? He said last night, his message for for Jaleel was, he, he said he texted him, I love you, and I'm going to bust your ass <laughs> yeah. four times a year.
1: Yeah. Uh, those will be interesting. It'll be interesting to see what uh you know what kind of a role he plays and how many minutes they give him. I assume they're going to give him big minutes because the only reason you make a trade like that is to try him out and see if he can be a successful Reclamation project and those kind of guys don't usually turn turn it around unless you give them a chance. So he'll probably play a pretty decent role over there,
0: wouldn't you think? Yeah, it's it's one of the best landing spots for him for sure. I I think Phoenix and Chicago were sort of the other places that you thought in theory could be landing spots, but I you know the the Nets are essentially what the Sixers were a few years ago, except without their own pick, which is a but, big part. But, but yeah. it's, that's a huge part of it. But as far as the day-to-day on-court operation, they're, they're a slightly more dressed-up version of the Sixers team. And Kenny Atkinson is, I, you know, it's he's basically in the same spot Brett is. He gets his team to play really hard every night. He seems very focused on player development. And for Ja and also for Nick Stauskas, I think it's a good landing spot for them. Now they're going to have to take advantage of it and – I think it's no secret that me and you and a whole host of other people who have watched the Philadelphia Sixers play basketball the last few years are a little skeptical of how or if Ja is going to be this breakout candidate that some people might think. Uh, But for them, I don't think they could have found a better spot.
1: Yeah, and I think that's probably about as much as I wanted to talk about Julie his upcoming play with the Brooklyn Nets. Um, Moving on. When this trade happens, where – because I, I wrote about it today. You were at the – you were probably at the – well, no, it was probably before you left for the game. But you were preparing to go to your game. Where does your head go when when this trade gets announced? Does it go to Trevor Booker? Does it go to giving up the second-round pick? Does it go to Julius Okafor? Where does it go?
0: More big-picture stuff. Uh, I, I didn't think about Trevor Booker uh, right away. The uh, We'll get to him in a little bit. But – I just think when you follow somebody for two years and spend so much time thinking about him, and it was such a frustrating era, you sort of look back on, "Oh man, it's it's finally over." And I had so many conflicting feelings when I uh, when I first heard what the uh, the trade package was. The first one was, "Oh my God, they had to give a second round pick to to unload this guy." To oh, Trevor Booker is actually kind of a useful player. He he might be okay. And then it just turns into, oh, man, I, I can't believe they waited this long to trade him. And then on the other hand, it's, oh, this is actually a, a pretty good deal. It's just, we spent so much time frustrated about Ja and his situation and his fit with the Sixers and, you know, everything. that, that That's sort of what came to mind right away. And I, I, I think that... The main thing was like, I, I was kind of happy for him. He wasn't a bad spot. I, I don't think he's totally blameless for the bad spot that the Sixers have put him in. But the first thing I thought was, man, it's it's finally over. We don't have to worry about this guy anymore.
1: Yeah, I got a I got a text from somebody like, you know, why are you focusing on Oakford? He's probably the third most important part of this package behind the second round pick and the Trevor Booker. And I think it's exactly because of what you said. We've been we've been talking about this guy for two and a half years now. The Sixers invested a number three overall pick in him. There's been countless debates, nonstop, never-ending, agonizing, soul-crushing debates about this guy for two and a half years, and it's just, it's natural for your head to immediately go there, even if, you know, this was a guy who was, he, what do he play, 25 minutes so far this year in two games, like he was not a part of the future or present at all, you knew they weren't going to get anything of value for him. So in reality, that second round pick that and, and Trevor Booker, they're both legitimately more important pieces for what's going to happen with this team. But we've we've just spent so much time focused on this guy and focused on the handling of this guy for it to finally come to a merciful resolution. Even if he's not the most important part of what's going on anymore, he's still very much going to be where your head is at.
0: I, I think the main I think it was Phil Jasner who once said this, uh, that when you – when somebody gets traded, you're supposed to look at who's coming back, not reflect on who's leaving. That's, that's the best way to go about it because you're covering the Sixers. It was just impossible to do this with Job because of all the extra stuff that came with him. God, there were still debates about him to this day, even when, as you said – uh he's only played 20-something minutes this year. And it's just – I mean, it's just a re- – it's a relief. Honestly, Colangelo was asked uh, – I forget who asked the question, is it a relief that you finally got to trade him? And while he didn't come out and say that, he did mention that, yeah, I mean, it's nice that I won't have to be on the phones all the time trying to make the trade. And, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I-, I get it. I feel it's, a little bit it, like
1: a used car salesman at that point, right? No, his car's yeah. in really good shape.
0: Trust me trust me. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, just as somebody who's covered him, I mean, I, it, it feels nice that I don't have to write about him because we knew for such a long time now that he probably and then was definitely not going to be a long term piece here. I think you put it a good way in your column. It was the end of an error.
1: Yeah, an error of many ways, right from right from the front office that drafted him and Hinkey and and to the ownership group that had a, an increasing amount of pressure to make more immediate return moves on that front office and right down to Colangelo, who should have traded him, you know, in October or May of 2016 and not gone into that season with Noel and Embiid and Okafor and Holmes all trying to play and all trying to be showcased for for an eventual. Well, not all, but Noel and Okafor trying to be showcased. Just a comedy of errors. It is. um It is, it's great that it's over with. You wish it would have turned out pretty much almost any other way possible. (laughs) I know. But, I mean, look, we got to move on and and, and welcome Trevor Booker into the fold, which I think think fans are going to like him. Not necessarily, I don't think fans are going to kid themselves into him being a major part of anything. Uh, Like, he's very much going to be your fourth or fifth guy off the bench, but I think his style of play will endear himself well, at least.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of fans only know Trevor Booker from that crazy shot he hit a few years ago when he was playing with the Jazz where he basically volleyballed the the basketball over his head when there was, I think there was .1 seconds left on, on the clock. I think that's the first place a lot of people look. Yeah, he's a, uh, I, you know, he's a tough guy. He is, uh, I would put him very much in the uh, sort of Amir Johnson role from yes. the, yeah, from the intangibles that they bring. Uh, it, it'll be interesting to see if he plays. I asked Brett yesterday, are, are you actually going to play this guy? Because you have a lot of big guys when everybody's healthy, whether at the four or the five. And as you wrote on The Athletic today, Booker is kind of uh, vacillated between those two positions as the NBA has evolved. Uh, so I, I, I don't – and Brett basically said – yeah, at least initially it might be a little bit hard for him to play. So, I mean, really, we're looking. I mean, this goes back to, oh, man, you trade a job for a guy who's not even going to play. It's, uh, it's a nice bit of insurance, though. And it, for the Sixers' purposes, obviously they were going to move on from Okafor this year. I feel more confident putting Trevor Booker in a game when they're desperate or when Joe is not playing a back-to-back I feel way more confident putting him him in a game than Ja. So oh, for sure. It, okay. In that regards, it's you know it's a nice upgrade.
1: And look, they have a you know whether or not there's I, the the way I kind of viewed it is you know basically they traded a second round pick for Booker. They needed Stauskas and Okafor to match the salary, and I think Booker is probably worth a second round pick. You know, I think what they ended up trading the 2019 Knicks pick, which you know we'll see what it ends up becoming. I think right now it's probably not as as valuable as you would have thought it would have been two months ago, but there's also a lot of time between now and then for the knicks to nick to mix that up quite a bit <laughs> um but you know, I think Booker's by and large worth a second round pick a year and a half from now, like I don't question that. I do question a little bit of of fit for the same reasons you said you know another undersized big man four or five combo who really has a streaky to non-existent outside shot like i know he's probably shot like 30 percent over the last four years but it's so streaky that he's not spacing the floor you know any question do you really need that in your rotation like not not even that do you need it but will he be able to fit along with holmes and um johnson and and bead and simmons and shards like there's a there's a logjam there that i get but i think one of the things i still have what like 11 back-to-backs coming up there's bound to be an injury at some point And having a guy like Booker that you can turn to to give you 15 to 20 minutes when that happens, it might be a difference between a win or two. And if it's the difference between a win or two in April, that could be really big. So I don't hate it. Like, I don't think this – basically, I think my overall stance on it is that in three years, this is probably a trade that moved the needle nowhere. Like, it probably didn't hurt the team, probably didn't help the team. Uh, It's probably a a, a net neutral because odds of that second-round pick working out, very low. Odds of Trevor Booker – increasing their chance and really that's what i think is the end goal like make the team slightly more enticing to a free agent so you can do something next summer and the odds of booker really materially changing that is low as well so they're both low it's it's probably going to end up being much ado about nothing um i like booker i'm just not entirely sold in his fit with these pieces
0: what uh you you talked about this and and I, i thought I'd like you to kind of expand on it a little bit. Um, th- there are some fans who are a little, they, they I mean, they, they just don't like the idea of giving up second round picks. And, you know, when this whole process started, that was Sam's MO. He would just hoard those things. Uh, the The point you made last night, I forget if it was on Twitter or somewhere else, but th- I, while that next pick is valuable, it's less valuable to a team like the Sixers who have so many roster spots to fill with the low value of a second round pick. And like, look, Jonah Bolden, he's a second round pick. We're, we're all getting pretty excited about him. He's showing some stuff, but like, as soon as you hit on one of those guys, that takes up another r- roster spot you can't use for these picks. Right. for sure. So I, I just think like where they're at all those second round picks that Sam mm-hmm. Build up correctly, by the way. They, they there becomes a log jam on the roster. It becomes hard to fit all of those guys in.
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, there's, there's. It wasn't just get second round picks and see which one of those work out. You have to get second round picks and have the playing time and the roster spots to play them. Otherwise, you'll never know whether or not they're going to work out. You just go back to the RTRS T-shirt where they printed out like what was it, a hundred names on the back of a T-shirt. Sixers yeah. can't cycle through a hundred names right now. They just can't do that. So, you know, I think what worked then, and it, the way I phrase it, you're always looking for, you know, how to work the margins. How do you, you know, take the situation you're in and find something that somebody else is not valuing appropriately? And for the Sixers, they were allowed, they were able to overvalue undrafted guys and second round picks because they had the playing time and the roster spots to give them a look because they didn't want to settle their roster with you know, aging veterans, or, you know, quite frankly, that they didn't have stars on the roster either. That would command 35 minutes a night and a lot of touches. Uh, Not that that was a choice, but that was the reality of where they were. So I think right now you're just, you're not going to be able to cycle through as much. And look, like you said, this is a team, Luauu Cabreau, Korkmaz, Rashawn Holmes, Justin Anderson, still even young if you want to count him, Jonah Bolden, Pasechniks, and nine, well, now eight draft picks over the next two years. You're just, you're not going to keep all them. You're not even going to be able to, you know, stash them overseas. There's there's just a reality here. And would you like to, you know, trade those for something other than a five-month rental? Yeah, probably. But right now, the team didn't want to take on contract for next summer. And uh, I guess when I look at one of these trades, I'm also, you know, you're kind of, you're grading it on a curve because you know if they have these extra draft picks come, come June 2018, they're probably going to sell them. Or June 2019, in this case, because it's a 2019 pick. But we saw last year, I mean, shit, they sold a 39th pick in the draft. That's a really good second-round pick, and they still sold it. So, like, do I have real confidence that they're going to use it for a productive reason? Like, that they're going to combine second-round picks or trade up or, or be able to get all draft and stash guys? I will give them credit. Like, you know, they've added three draft and stash. I'm including Cork Mouse because they stashed him for a year. But they added three draft and stash guys um over the course of two drafts. Like that's good. You you you're just not going to be able to do that with everyone. So it it's all right. It's whatever. It's like I said it's when it's probably pointless either way.
0: When you ran through all those names of the young players on the roster, my thought was uh you know what would have been a little more valuable if they got the equivalent of Trevor Booker who was a wing.
1: Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. <laughs>
0: The uh, the positional value didn't work there. Uh, I also thought Mike O'Connor, our colleague at The Athletic, had a uh, had a good take on the whole thing. I uh, I thought he put it pretty well. The Sixers are not responsible for plummeting Okafor's value. Yes. they are responsible for failing to recognize when it was at its apex.
1: Right, and I mean, I look, that, Colangelo made it a point yesterday, like, hey, we had something at the deadline last year. That's great. But what what else? Okay, so that fell through. What else did you have that you turned down over the last 18 months, too? Like, it's not just because that one deal fell through doesn't mean that you correctly predicted how his trade value would evolve over the course of the next year and a half. Like, there was, I'll never forget two things I'll never forget in this regard, and then we can move on. Uh, I'll never forget his, I will not make a bad deal. You did. And the <laughs> Woj, you know, start starting asking price of two first round picks. Like you got to be kidding me! I just I can't I can't help but wonder what trades they turned down over the last eighteen months. But whatever, it is what it is.
0: Yeah, it's a bad trade. They uh, and they didn't take on long term money, which is obviously it's it's you know a very obvious part of this, but it's important too. They weren't. I'm going to add a player who added salary the the next two years, and Booker is that, and uh, I think we can probably close the door on the Jaleel Okafor era. Is that is there anything else? No, I'm um, I'm so so out
1: on talking about that guy's basketball ability. I'm glad he's got a chance to go play. Um,
0: you know, I, good luck, buddy. Net, good luck. By the way, Nets Daily said. Uh, Sean Marks has turned them into crime reporters because this was a robbery, I think, was the, the tweet.
1: <laughs> yeah, I loved – I think it was Chris Mannix talking about, you know, how they're creatively finding – like, how creative do you have to be to find a guy that they're begging to give away? Like, there was nothing really creative about trading for Julio for. But, hey, I mean, look, they have playing time and touches available, so give it a shot. But, like, it's not – that's this master stroke of creative genius to be like, hey, that guy you're trying to give away, we'll take him.
0: Yeah, it's from their perspective, it's fine if they want to take a shot. They're a team that's in position to do that, but this was not a uh, not the D'Angelo Russell trade. Put it that way.
1: All right. So moving on, Rich. Why is everybody on the team seemingly rebounding, playing, and playing transition defense like Jaleel Okafor?
0: It's been. Pretty concerning. I mean, you know, you try to balance whether this is an 80, you know, this is an 82 game schedule and young teams are going to go through their ups and downs. But man, these last two games really fucking sucked, dude. Like, ugh. I mean, they didn't give a shit in the first half of either of those games. Those are two. I mean, all of the goodwill they built in getting the 13 and 9 against the toughest schedule in the league, against a yeah. road heavy slate. You don't want to say they gave it all back by losing to the Suns and Lakers at home, but they came pretty close. And it's like you said. I mean, I rewatched that Lakers game last night. Their transition defense was just abysmal. And I, it said at the end of the night that the Lakers only had 11 fast break points. But there were plenty of times they were able to get great shots in the half court because the Sixers were in scramble mode and they, they had a cross match that was favorable just because they didn't get back on defense. I mean, God, after the Sixers had dunks, the Lakers were running the ball back down the floor and getting good shots. The uh, you know, and we have been uh, we've talked about Lonzo Ball a little bit here. The, the thing I will give him credit for last night, he did a great job of pushing pace. While at the same time, the Sixers did a terrible job of stopping the ball. There were a couple times Lonzo went right down the freaking lane. And that's, you know, whether you want to blame that on scheme or I, I think it's mostly effort. And that's, it's just not good enough. They, uh and and you saw it on the last play. The uh, Embiid has a post up. And Embiid, by the way, was great in the second half of last night. He, uh, on both ends of the floor, he picked it up. And that, that was encouraging to see because... I would really be shitting on the Sixers right now if that second half didn't turn out the way it did. Um, so he loses the ball. It's unfortunate. I, I don't know whether he, he just dropped it or missed a layup, but the ball falls into Lonzo's hands, and he sprints it down the court, and the Sixers get confused, which leads to Embiid closing out on him, Lonzo driving and kicking to Ingram, and Ingram being wide open. So the, the Sixers... You know, you don't. I was happy that a lot of people didn't spin that as, "Oh man, they they struggled again in the late game last night." No, they didn't struggle in the late game. Right. They came back and did a really good job for the most part in the fourth quarter. But they played like dog shit in the first two and a half quarters, and they weren't perfect down the stretch. And when you play like that for half the game, even against a bad team, guess what? You deserve to lose.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with you. The the blowing a, or uh, Failing to execute late is something that I thought some people would run with, and I heard some like some callers to sports talk radio be like, "Oh, Brett doesn't execute late in the game." No, last night was very much about the first two and a half quarters, like you said. And over this two-game stretch with the Lakers and the Suns, you know, Suns came in eight and sixteen, Lakers I think eight and fifteen. Sixers have given up twenty-three points per game off of turnovers, third worst in the league over the last two. Last Ugh. two games, they've given up 21 points per game on second chance points, which is tied for the worst in the league. And they're giving up, uh, let's see, 49 points per game in the paint, which is seventh worst in the league. It's just all of the things they did well, and rebounding was one of their re- – not that they've ever stopped teams. Like, they are o- always turn the ball over. But rebounding was one of their real strengths, and their transition defense and their rebounding has just been dog shit the last two games. And yeah, they're not shooting the ball, and they kind of caught fire late and, and made the score closer. And look, a lot of their success is going to be predicated on whether or not those perimeter shots go in or not, and that's been a big part of their struggles. But they're not defending in transition, they're not communicating at all, and their rebounding has been awful. And it's it's come back to bite them against two teams that they had, had no real business losing to.
0: The uh, I think I read somewhere yesterday, I believe it was John Schumann of NBA.com, that while the Sixers are, I, I don't know if they're first now, probably after last night they might have flipped with the Lakers, but they were 29th and the Lakers were 30th in turnovers. And his point was, yeah, that's bad. But the good news for the Sixers is they're not giving up that many live ball turnovers, which is what ends up hurting you on the other end of the floor more than just throwing the ball into the fifth row like Joe B does sometimes. Um, there's been a lot of live ball turnovers the last couple of th- nights and it's been God JJ Redick was just ugh, some of the decisions he made last night were just brutal just losing the ball Simmons you could tell I mean he had that killer play at the end of the third quarter where Contavious called Will Pope knew it was coming he knew that he wanted to throw the ball back to Embiid for three instead of pulling up and taking the jump shot and that came to bite him and yeah it's just just a lot of sloppy mental mistakes in uh, in rewatching those games, I have to say last night's first two quarters bothered me even more than the Phoenix game. Yep. Because the Phoenix game, while that was aggravating to to watch live, Devin Booker, some of the shots he hit were just ridiculous. There, there's something that you just can't, you know. You, at some point, you have to, as Brett says, you have to shake his hand, All right? And just go. And and also the Sixers shot terribly that night too. Last night, God, I mean you mentioned the rebounding too, some of those offensive rebounds were killers, and God, think about all the mistakes we're talking about. that ended up being a one possession game, and that should be really frustrating to that to the sixers because I mean they really blew a chance to get two easy wins this week,
1: yeah at, uh, we were all expecting fifteen and eleven now you're what thirteen and or fifteen and ten now you're thirteen and eleven not. Not a, not how I think anybody drew that out. You're right, that play with Simmons and Embiid in the third quarter, that was one of the most mind-boggling end-of-quarter situations I've maybe ever seen. Uh, it was when the other team knows that your 6'10", 250-pound point guard isn't going to attempt a shot seven feet from the basket and he can overplay the passers. Ben doesn't look entirely himself lately. Um, he had a, a couple of great drives in the first half, so I'll give him credit for that but and then redick i mean whew, just the worst i mean he he might have been the worst player on the floor that you know last night and that is not um you know look a lot of people are going to kill him for it shooters are going to be up and down he's going to have days where he hits and when he misses uh but it was more the decision making that really drove i think everybody insane last night and he uh, you know he deserves to be called out that was a bad game i do like i still i still like jj redick i think he's going to help this team throughout the season but i'm not going to tell you not to be frustrated over what was a What was a brutal performance? It was a – that was a tough one. That was a tough
0: one. Yeah. Yeah, have have some perspective. Don't write him off. He's going to have nights where he's going to flat out win the game for the Sixers. He's already had a couple of those. But, yeah, I mean his – how frustrating were – and it was him and Bayless. God, some of the fouls they committed in the fourth quarter too? Come on, guys. You're supposed to be veterans, and they, you know, for whatever reason, just didn't – Bring it mentally last night, and it, you know I, I understand why people get frustrated about that because those guys were two of the mo- the main culprits for sure.
1: I mean Bayless, is, Bayless has Bayliss has kind of had that problem all season, which is he he frustrates me a a million times more
0: than Redick does. Uh, he, he's well, he also got the technical foul the other night too. It yep. just it seems like he just gets too angry.
1: Yeah, yeah, that plausible. Um, he's especially frustrating because they have to get rid of that contract, and with the way he's playing, that's not going to be easy all right um i don't know i don't know how much more i can you got any other main takeaways from a uh, from those dreadful performances
0: yeah i mean on a positive note joe is great the Joe's second great. half last yep. night yeah he played it, it was I, I was focused on him coming into the game last night because i think the natural question for him is how do you follow up whatever he had, what was it, 47, 50 and 7, and 7, something like that. How do you actually follow that up? Because, you know, even if the Lakers didn't play him any differently, it was going to be really hard for him to have that type of effect. And I liked what he did. They they sent a couple more double teams. They they dug down a little bit from the top. Sometimes they played him with straight single coverage, and they, they definitely mixed up the players playing him. Yeah. I think it was uh, – Bogut for a little while. They had a good. Uh, I thought Joe got away with a couple pushes. Bogut got away with an egregious flop. That was kind of fun to watch. Uh, who else did they they have on him? They had Lopez. They had Julius Randle and Larry Nance got some some possessions too. He he did a really good job, and I thought especially down the stretch too. He made a couple of great passes to Rashawn Holmes. Just just read the defense perfectly and, and dropped it in. And I guess that's that's a question for you. What did you what'd you make of Rashawn's game last night? Because he has not been playing much at all over the past couple weeks. Amir has taken that backup center job for a few weeks, and you know Brad has always mentioned that he's not forgetting about Rashawn. Rashawn played really well last night. He was active. He had a couple of absolutely nasty dunks, but it came as the four man playing with Embiid for the most part.
1: Yeah, I mean Rashawn had played about thirty-five minutes over the last seven or so games, so he was very much out of the rotation. It like you said, it came mostly as a as a foreman, which is something Brett has been pretty clear. He doesn't necessarily want to use all that often. Obviously with Dario out and against a team that plays some big guys, that gave him a little bit more of an opportunity to get him in there. Look, I have been very critical of Rashawn's defense. Uh I have also said that while I think, you know, like I understand why Brett turns to Amir Johnson in a season where he's expected to win. Like you can just trust Amir to be in the right spots defensively. And I think coaches really value that. With Rashawn, you really have no idea how focused he's going to be on that end of the court. So I kind of get why Brett does, you know, why Brett leans on Amir like that. But from my perspective, as much as I get excited talking about the playoffs, as much as I want to see them, you know really really push for a a decent enough seed where they could be competitive in the first round i also development is still very big and i'd like to see i'd like to see what rashawn can develop into i'm not completely out on him you know as much as i am concerned about his defense i'm not out on him at all like i like his offense is very obviously valuable and the way he has just such he, he made that one play where he you know, darted across the lane, jumped in the air, caught the ball and laid it up in one motion. And that's just a a series of events with the athleticism and the coordination and the body control and the touch. A very few big men his size can make. And he has such gravity because everybody knows how much of a threat he is, uh, rolling and and driving and diving to the basket that, you know, he, he, I think he does open things up. I think he'd be a great spark off the bench event bench offensively. But man, it's, it's, I like, I'd like to see him a more regular part. Whether that's playing alongside of Embiid for a couple of minutes a night, whether that's playing a, a few more of Amir's minutes, I'd like to see him more regular. Just see if if he has a game like last night where, like that dude looked like he was shot out of can. Like he came in, and he was, he was instant energy and instant aggression. If he has a night like that, leave him out there. If he looks like that, if he's having an off night, then maybe go to Amir. I'm not sure if I like the uh, if I like the Embiid Holmes combination too much going forward like i'm fine giving it some some minutes here and there to see if it can get, continue to work but i definitely do know that i want to see a, a little more of a mirror overall and if that's the way you got to do it then, then by gosh go ahead and do it
0: agreed on all counts uh being shot out of a cannon he, his energy was fantastic last night that was a dead crowd for the most part and it was a packed house too it was you know before the fourth quarter it was pretty quiet but once, uh, once they showed Lavar and and Rashawn really started uh getting things going, it, it became a really fun atmosphere. The uh the thing that Rashawn does, I he had the one play, and obviously he had the great dunk in the first half and that crazy layup you said uh that, that you talked about. The one play that sticks out to me, I think he might be better at this than anybody in the NBA. If he has the ball below his knees and there are four players in the lane <laughs> yeah. on the other team reaching for the ball, I don't think there is anybody in the NBA better than Rashawn Holmes at somehow getting that ball up on the rim. It's unbelievable how he does it. The Lakers had four dudes swiping for that basketball, and he had it basically between his legs. And it just, you know, he said, all right, this is going to take a little longer than usual, but only two seconds for me to just lay it in. So he's he's great at that. I – uh. I also agree with your point that, and and Brett's point, in general, I don't like playing to traditional bigs. And when I mean traditional, Rashawn, I I know he can knock down a three once in a while, but he's he's much more effective diving to the rim. Also, I don't really like watching him shoot the ball that much no. either. Him him and Amir might have the two grossest looking jumper. I mean, they're they're top five percent percentile of worst three-point three, three point shots in the league in terms of looks. like They're just brutal to watch. Uh, I am a little curious to see him and Embiid, though, because the idea of Rashawn being a weak side cutter off an Embiid post-up, to me, that's interesting. Because it's such a simpler read for JoJo to make. Instead of having to thread the needle across the floor, he's – it's gonna have a guy who basically the defense is gonna have to account for, or he can just throw a simple lob pass and Rashawn will dunk it. Th- that's something that interests me. But yeah, l- like you said, for all the reasons that Brett has played Amir, I-, I-, I agree with them to an extent. But look, Rashawn has another year on his contract too. He is more of a runway, as yep. Colangelo said, and he has potential too. I, he needs to play. You know, you can't you can't completely forget about him even if I totally understand that his defense is a little unreliable at the five.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's, that combination, the Embiid-Holmes uh, combination, they would played five minutes all season together leading up to that game last night. Uh, so I, don't, I think it's something people ask me, like, whether Brett's going to do it more now or, or whether Brett's come around to using that. I don't think necessarily Brett came around. I think his hand was kind of forced. But does maybe he reevaluate it a little bit now that it had so much success last night? Maybe. Like, that might be. Rashawn's always a tough guy for me because, you know, on the one hand, like I said, I think his offensive contributions are are, are pretty real. And for a backup big, I think that would be a real asset. And I like him because he seems like, you know, he plays hard. He gives a shit defensively. I think that's great, but the defense has just never been there. And I think because of that, because I like his offense and I like his effort and I like his athleticism, that he confuses me a lot. And I always think he should be better than he is defensively. And I always get frustrated that he's not reaching that and reaching his potential. But by the same token, he's young. I, I say he's young enough, but he's like 23 at this point or something like that. Uh, but he's still young enough and with enough potential. And like you said, you have another year on his contract that even if maybe Amir gives you a better chance to win right now, and I can understand why Brett makes that decision, I would still lean towards towards Holmes just because of what he could develop into and because the drop off even if it is there is probably not quite as steep like you're you're making offense defense trade it's tough because right we've complained about the defensive drop off from Embiid when he goes to the bench for quite a while and finally amir johnson is giving you a little bit defensively but at the same token like nobody on the bench is giving you anything offensively either so the bench is so imbalanced that you can make a case either way right now i just like to see amir play just to see if he could ever put it together yeah. Or I'm sorry, R- Rashawn played just to see if he could ever put it together.
0: Yeah, and and like you said, I mean the, the mentality feels like there should be something better, but sometimes gosh, he should it, he
1: should be a good defender. It's it's he's the one I can like it became real obvious that Julio Okafor is just not looping back to the start of this podcast. It became obvious real quickly to me that uh, Julio Okafor was never going to be a, a a good NBA defender or even an average N- NBA defender because the combination of awareness and shit-giving and athleticism just isn't there. Well, shit, Rashawn Holmes has two of those three attributes in spades. If he can ever just figure out that third one, he'll be okay.
0: Yep. Uh, I'm trying to think. Was there anything else that was a big positive from last night? I, I can't really think of anything.
1: Uh played a little better. TJ's back, but he didn't have a, 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 a TJ-like game.
0: No, he certainly didn't. Um, it is good to see him back. Obviously, you know, the, the bench is is hurt. I mean, as much as we are, are sort of skeptical about what Dario and the starting lineup and are a little unsure about what his fit is, God, you take that guy out of the lineup, the bench units become a little dicier. And, I mean, that's what happened last night. TLC is not playing well at all right now.
1: No, no. TJ er, TLC was awful the other night. I'm, I'm really – he is – like – I want to keep hope alive. I really do. Cause he's still only a second year player. He picked up the game kind of late. He was a late bloomer, but he's also, again, he's like 22 or 23 at this point. Uh, and he just, I mean, like I wrote the other day, he's a three and D player with, that really has no idea how to play D and, and can't have a consistent three. And that's a, it's been a little tough to navigate right now, especially when they're, they're giving him 25 minutes a night with, uh, with, with Anderson out and no real bench, bench depth beside him. It's been, he needs to play. And again, it, a lot of times you want to play young kids because maybe they'll develop a little bit quicker. He needs to play less. He's he's being asked for way too much right now.
0: Poor Max. Uh, <laughs> yeah.
1: But, I mean, people will also be like, well, why is Brett playing him? Well, look at the other options. There's, there's nobody. There's nobody.
0: Yeah, I would hope that when Justin Anderson returns from his uh, shin splints that he will get a good hard look in that TLC spot. But, yeah, right now, I mean... The only other solution is corkmaz and I, I'm not sure they want to play him yet. Yeah, I don't think – you know, it's questionable. I mean, his skill set does fit as far as the three-point shooting, but it's clear that they don't think he's quite ready yet, and he is getting time on I-95 driving to Delaware every day. They should uh, – by the to- way, those, those press releases are too long. They just need <laughs> – the Sixers press releases just need to be as long as your tweets yeah. about w- with Corkmaz because he – I mean, I think he's definitely on pace to surpass Lorenzo Brown if he hasn't already. It should just say Furcon gone or <laughs> yeah. Furcon back.
1: We, um, that's a good question. Somebody has to look that up, see whether or not he's he's been sent down more than, a, more than Brown. I, I, I truthfully don't know. I kind of um, – I didn't pay quite as much attention when Brown got sent up and down because I didn't care. But Corkmaz, it's 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 an everyday thing at this point. He those press releases uh, I think are his I actually have it pinned right now, the line that they have about when he was drafted and when he was signed. Because it is uh they, they include the exact same thing every time. And then after that the next sentence is always how many how many games he's appeared in this year, but it's always you know, Corkmaz was signed by the Sixers on July fourth, twenty seventeen, after originally being selected by Philadelphia with the twenty sixth overall pick in the twenty sixteen NBA draft. Like that's in every one of those press releases. And it's like, guys, we get it we we all know when he was drafted, we all know when he was signed, like you said, a little more streamlined. I get it's all copy and paste at this point, but just firking back, back,firkin and Delaware it's all I need It's all I need
0: It feels like the newspaper stories when it's just I, I they're basically only announcing news, whether it's a transaction or a player being hurt, and then to just add on to the the news that you're you're writing about you post his bio you right. know you basically write he averaged 12 points a game in 70 games last year or something like that where it's really all that you needed to write was this guy got traded or this guy's going to be out for the rest of the year
1: all right here's a here here's a, a question which comes first ben simmons attacks att- attempts a real legitimate three-pointer or firkin Korkmaz gets real nba minutes
0: Uh, I'm going to say Ben Simmons attempts a at three-pointer. I just feel like at the end of the clock, he's going to have to throw one up at some point here. Does that count? I don't know. I I think so we're, we're not talking like a
1: half-court heave. We're talking like a corner three that time ran out for.
0: Yeah, but that's what I'm talking about. Right. It, it would be a heave. It, I mean, It would be a regular three-point shot, but it would be one where... A teammate throws him a grenade at the end of the shot clock.
1: Huh. I I guess that counts. I guess that counts.
0: So that's the only way I see it happening. I, I clearly don't think uh, next game we're gonna see Embiid set a screen and Ben take one dribble and and pull right. a Damian Lill- Damian Lillard off the screen and just just bomb one from three. That's that's not happening. Uh. If uh. Yeah. I think I think he'll probably take one before Furkan gets some minutes. But it's not going to be something that he wants to do for sure.
1: I uh I'm gonna go with Furkan because I think, you know, we're we're right now one injury away from Korkmaz almost being like from Brown almost having to play Korkmaz. I don't think we're one injury away from Ben Simmons taking a three pointer, so I'm going I'm going with the uh I'm going with the Turk. Fair enough. Um All right. I'm not sure I necessarily have anything else. It's uh, you know, I think I think if you go listen, I haven't I haven't listened to Spike's little podcast, but I'm sure they're having a much bigger celebration about Okafor being gone. I frankly just I don't necessarily feel like spending an hour talking about Julia Okafor, uh, which is probably why we didn't do an emergency podcast last night. Also, we had had jobs to do, and we actually cover the team professionally, unlike some other podcast hosts. But it's uh, I just I can't I can't I can't muster too much, even even if it's nice to see the era or the the error. Over I can't I can't muster too much. I've spent two and a half years talking about a guy who who whose only real relevance is that he was selected over Chris Epps Porzingis.
0: Yep. He could be a good trivia question one day. <laughs> they uh well, what do you think about the next three games?
1: Uh well what? They've got they've got a bunch of oh, on, let me pull up the schedule. I think they've got like
0: so the nine next of their three, next
1: twelve on the road or something like that, right?
0: Yeah, the next three I believe are first off, what do you think uh back to back coming up, Cleveland and New Orleans. Saturday
1: so do you think cuz I'm I'm sure if if it's a good question actually. I wonder which game Joel would prefer to play and if they gave him the option. Like you would think by default Joel, not the team, Joel would prefer the Cavs because who wants to play against like who wouldn't want to play against LeBron? But on the same time you've got Boogie over on the Pelicans and we all know how that works out with Joel. So that would be interesting. Something tells me and this is this is I'm Purely speculating here, so don't read anything into it. Uh, but something tells me that they might try to play him against the Pelicans, if for no other reason than they have a better chance of winning that game. But it'll be interesting what they end up deciding upon. Also, should have mentioned this early for context. We're recording this on Friday, Friday evening. uh So if a press release comes out about Markel Fultz and an update on that, we're releasing or we're recording this before that happens.
0: Yeah, there's a there's a day off on either side too. So I don't really see a major rest benefit w- one way or another. It, I I'm not sure I agree too. He might want to play against the Pelicans too because he relishes these one-on-one center matchups and the Pelicans have two. I, if I were the Sixers and the the rest there wasn't a medical benefit to playing him against Cleveland, to me it's pretty clear you should play him against New Orleans.
1: Yeah. No, I I, I agree with that. It was just like I said. It's it's interesting from Joe's perspective because I do agree he likes playing against those high profile center matchups. But there's also a, a little extra boost for LeBron, and maybe even a little extra boost because they played so poorly against Cleveland last time. He might want to try to avenge that poor game. We'll see. But my 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 gut definitely tells you that he's going to play against the uh, against the Pelicans. But it'll be interesting. That that's a a tough three game stretch though. Like I think one and two in that stretch would be somewhat of a win. But like, yeah. Cleveland to me obviously seems like a I mean that, that that would be an astronomical win if they can pull that one off. And the Timberwolves are playing much better of late too. So that the two kind of or three kind of tough games here. Three kind of tough games.
0: Which is why those two terrible losses stick out even more. Uh, it's not you? like they have a safe landing spot.
1: Can you imagine? I mean if, if they go one and two, they would have lost four or five. City will uh City will not be in love with that record. Not be in love with that record.
0: I agree with you, though. In a vacuum, you know, the put put those two stinkers in the past. If you can play semi-competitive in these three games and get one of three of them, I, I think that's pretty good.
1: Yeah, because after that, you had the Thunder, the Bulls, and the Kings, which, look, the Thunder are still talented, even if they're not playing all that well. Bulls and the Kings should be two games you could win, although, of course, we know... Just because you're playing the Kings doesn't mean you're going to pull out that win. So there is a chance that after this little three-game road trip, they can come back and kind of get things back on track before they have to go on their next road trip. But it would it would be great to get two out of these three, but it's, uh, it's going to be tough. It's going to be real tough.
0: God, there were so many times in November when we'd be leaving the arena, uh, and I'd ask you, w- when the hell are they playing the Bulls again? Like, w- <laughs> w- when do those games come up? Uh, so it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely good to see some of the, the bottom feeders on the schedule, but yeah, this is, I mean, they're, they, they put their, they put themselves in a tough spot here and, you know, if they're not careful, they'll lose five in a row pretty easily here.
1: I, I felt much better about looking forward to the bottom feeders when they weren't coming off losses to the Suns and the Lakers, so, all right.
0: With the Kings loss also there, Yeah, too.
1: they're now five and three against teams below 500, which is not great, especially considering that Three days ago, they were five and one. But anyway, thank you for jumping on, Rich. Uh, We'll talk to you soon and have a good one.
0: I'm in. I'll see you. You've been listening to the Sixers beat right here on LibertyBallers.com and LibertyBroadcast.co.